Welcome to the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Champoli, APPA's News Director. Our guest today is John Baer, CEO of the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator. John has served in that position since 2009. John, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Paul. I'm really happy that you asked. I, I appreciate the opportunity. So, John, uh, just kind of get things started. Wanted to know if you could talk about MISO's grid and, and how it's fared so far this summer in terms of uh, increased power demand and any stress um, on the overall system resulting from, from heat waves. Sure, Paul. It's It's been a challenging summer. Uh, you know, we're working hard to stay reliable, but it's getting more difficult uh, all the time. Uh, as we sort of look at what's going on with the fleet changes, uh, the influx of intermittent resources, uh, the transmission needs uh, that we have to keep up with those uh, have really, you know, challenged us. And so it's kind of pushed us to put together what we call the reliability imperative work that we're doing to redesign our markets, to look at our long-range transmission planning, uh, to redesign our underlying uh, operating systems uh, that we rely on, as well as looking at what goes on in the control room from a standpoint of tools uh, and processes that are there. So, it's, uh, it's all coming together for us, and it's becoming very clear that we're on the right path there, but there's a whole lot of things to do in a very short period of time. Uh, we've had some very tight operating conditions this summer, I would say, but overall, we've managed without any major issues, um, and we've gathered some valuable lessons learned, which is always important. Um, as you know, we're very close to our one day and 10 reserve margin, so we're operating very efficiently in terms of of uh, costs to our members, it's from balancing cost and reliability, which we all have to do. Um, we forecasted adequate resources for the season during our summer readiness workshop, and uh, our operators have done a really nice job of collaborating with our members, uh, as well as our neighbors, uh, as we've gone through some of these tight times. Uh, there have been some alerts and advisories along the way, uh, including this week, actually, uh, which are used to notify our members that we may need to take action and we may need them to take action so that we can get to load modifying resources or different configurations in the grid to make sure that we can become and stay uh, reliable. Forced outage rates remain higher than our prior experiences have been, and we've seen a trend upward here probably over the last three to four years, which is a little bit concerning. Um, our July performance has been better than June, but uh, nevertheless, it's still been higher than we have, uh, have planned for and have, have seen in the past. And given our non-homogeneous resources, you know, the summer peak valuation uh, really isn't applicable all year anymore. You know, in the past, we looked at that peak hour, the peak day, and we assumed that if we had enough resources on that day, we would have enough resources the rest of the year. And that was true uh, up until a few years ago. And now what we're seeing is that <laughs> we've got to change our accreditation and really look on more of a seasonal basis, as well as refining how we do the accreditation by resource type so that we can get a better reflection of the actual performance capabilities at the times that they're needed. So, you know, I think when you think about all those things and pull them together, again, it, it really enhances uh, the importance of being able to coordinate with our neighbors uh, because we are relying on them uh, at different times, whether it's in February or whether it's in July, for some of that non-firm energy that they can provide us to help us through some of those stressful days. And so just sticking with the topic of uh, weather and the grid, in June, um, uh, MISO released a report on a February Arctic event that uh, you know, obviously made national headlines um, and affected MISO as well as other regional grid operators. So could you provide an overview of the report and uh, lessons learned from, from the Arctic event that are outlined in the report? Yeah, absolutely. So as we got through the February Arctic event, as you noted, we thought it was really important to capture those lessons learned 
uh, and have discussions, you know, with all of our stakeholders to make sure we understood what they saw from their lens and how they could help us and we could do things uh, better next time. So we published that report really to draw on those lessons learned, uh, including other events like Hurricane Laura that we're able to apply, you know, sort of during that winter event. So while we were able to successfully manage the grid during those extreme conditions, uh, this experience really reinforced the urgency uh, to enhance our market design, to refine our system planning, uh, to complete uh, the overhaul and the refinement of our technology systems, and to refine and change the controls, the tools, and the processes that we had in the control room, uh, in addition to changing some of the training there. We had phenomenal collaboration with our neighboring RTOs, and it really demonstrated the value of being interconnected in the Eastern Interconnection. Uh, the, beautiful, the beauty there is that things are diverse in terms of weather, uh, in terms of resources, and not all of us uh, have experienced those stressful conditions at the same time. So we were incredibly thankful for the help that PJM was able to give us and the help that we were able to give SVP during that time frame. Um, our multi-value transmission portfolio that we plan and implemented, um, we still have one element that's outstanding. It was invaluable to us as the flows on our system shifted from predominantly west to east to being east to west. Um, some of the key takeaways from that experience and sort of those major weather events, you know, resource performance is always critical, right? And we need sufficient resources to be available at the right times at the right place to meet demand. And this goes back to the point I made earlier about accreditation and what those resources are really worth. Things are, are performed differently in February than they do in July and August. And we need to reflect that and how we think about things going forward. Also, our resource adequacy planning needs to be refined changing really, you know, from an annual to a, a seasonal resource accreditation construct, and then looking further to see what that peak demand looks like throughout the year. Um, this will help us plan for outages better and help us use different criteria for planning those outages. In the past, we've planned outages using reliability criteria, which means it's okay to curtail load if we have to, to keep the system stable. Uh, but we are changing now that now to look at it from a resource adequacy construct, because we want to make sure that we have energy at all hours of the day for people. Additionally, our load reduction plans that we work on with our distribution companies, uh, should we become short of generation, whether it's a transmission outage or whether it's a generation outage that can cause that uh, in an area, uh, those load reduction plans must also be seasonal. Uh, things that you would do to reduce load in February are very different than things you would do in July or August. And so we have, have made those refinements. Um, you know, I think it, it goes without saying that transmission is vital to moving electricity from where it's generated to where it's needed most. Uh, we did have some load curtailment um, events during that February event. And in each of those load curtailment events, it was a transmission constraint or a transmission outage uh, that caused us to have to curtail that load. It was not that we didn't have enough energy uh, to move where we needed to move. I think it enhanced interregional coordination for us and interconnection, along with new resource capacity and really bringing significant benefits to facilitate reliability and efficiency. And then finally, looking at sort of our control room and what they saw and the different tools that might have helped us, um, you know, we, we have gone through some processes on redesigning forecasting tools to help us get the system pre-positioned when we see those events coming and coordinate with our members to be more precise in terms of how we commit and decommit use resources to be as efficient and reliable as we can. You know, at the end of the day, reliability is the outcome of many years of forward-looking planning and decisions among a very diverse group of stakeholders. 
the key roles that needed to establish and accomplish that work need to be reviewed constantly and adjusted to ensure that collectively we can ensure that that reliability is there when our customers depend on it. Right. And a quick follow-up question, if I could. So I know given what most of the country is feeling right now in terms of weather, it's, it's hard to think about cold weather at this point, but in terms of, uh, you know, looking ahead on the calendar um, and more specifically, I guess, you know, call it February of, of next year, um, from, from your position of leadership at MISO, are you, in terms of the report and kind of lessons learned, actions that can be taken, anything that, that rises particularly to the top for you in terms of you really want to make sure um, is, is ready to go at, at the start of next year? Yeah, I think there's there's sort of three key things that that we touched on that I would say are most important. First is resource accreditation. You know, we need to understand how solar performs, how wind performs, how gas units are performing, how coal units are performing, you know, during the different seasons. So that's really, really important. Uh, the thing that's next to that that's probably most important is the outage coordination. So, we, you know, a lot of the times in the past, our members were able to take a lot of their resource outages in the February March timeframe because we had a big reserve margin which allowed us to do that. Uh, we can't do that anymore. So we have a lot of coordination that needs to happen as far as what what assets or what resources are are undergoing outage and maintenance and where they are because we need to make sure that uh, transmission as well as generation is coordinated so that we can give ourselves the best chance to move energy where we need it and when we need it. And then finally, should we have to curtail load? Again, we want to make sure that we're doing things that are efficient in February to curtail load versus things that are efficient in July or August. That's really the three key things, I think, for us. Okay. And, uh, you know, as you know, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission is, is taking a lot of action, uh, especially, I guess, it seems to me in the, in the last several months. Um, and one of the, the things that I wanted to ask you about is um, in the area of uh, transmission planning, regional transmission planning. Um, you know, as you know, in, in uh, the summer, FERC said it's seeking comment on the potential need for reform or revisions to regulations to improve the electric regional transmission planning and cost allocation and generator interconnection processes. Um, so wanted to know if you could talk about how the issues raised and, and what FERC calls the an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking um, relate to MISO's transmission planning efforts um, to address the changing resource mix. Yeah, we, we're thinking a lot about that. And in fact, as we launched our new revised long-range transmission planning process, we really had most of these things in mind in terms of what we were doing. We've spent a whole lot of time trying to refine our interconnection queue over the last probably five to seven years. And, and we've done most everything I think we can do to this point. And what we found largely is that is a function of the fact that our transmission system is oversubscribed. So as we looked at the ANOPER and sort of compared that to what we were doing, uh, I, I think we're pretty well lined up with what FERC is hoping to accomplish. So we have moved forward with our members on what we call a scenario-based planning approach. So we've visited with all of our members recorded what their generation uh, plans are in terms of things moving forward and developed what we call future one, which is, is, is what our members are planning to do right now. Future two, uh, which is a little bit of an enhancement on what they're planning to do right now. And then future three, which is really what they're planning to do right now with an onslaught of electrification, which, which of course increases load 
um, at the same time. So it's a little bit uh, different scenario. And then thinking about how do we look at transmission planning from a long-range standpoint across those three scenarios, finding the most efficient way for our customers to invest their money. I don't like what APPA does. So as we started looking at this, we found that in scenario one, it's about $130 billion scenario, $30 billion for transmission and 100 for new resources, mostly renewable resources. Uh, and then we found as high on, on future three, um, you know, about $400 billion for generation and $130 billion on transmission. So there's some pretty big dollars that are at play there that need to be spent. And generally, just for context, we spend about $4 billion a year in our normal planning process. So these are transformational, not incremental investments that are required, which I think is why it's so important that FERC is trying to address cost allocation. Um, so we've got a lot of work to do with our members to try to work through that uh, and try to think about how cost allocation can make the most sense. It's easy to say that your benefits will follow the costs or the costs will follow the benefits. And in our uh, multi-value portfolio that we did previously that I referenced earlier, we had about a three to one benefit to cost ratio. So I think we were able to do a good job of planning that uh, prior. And we are now trying to think through how can we do this with our members uh, and these portfolios. So we appreciate that the commission's asking these important questions. Uh, we thought the initial time frame for responding was pretty short, given the volume and complexity of these questions. These are very important things that we need to address. So we joined in the request for an extension that was submitted by the ISO RTO Council. Um, and of course, both the organization of MISO states and the organization of, of PJM states also joined us in requesting those extensions supporting the time frame. And the commission's not yet acted on that extension, but we just think this is so important and so big that we need to take a little bit more time to make sure we're thoughtful about those responses. Sticking with, with the topic of FERC, could you talk about um, MISO's implementation of FERC Order 2222, uh, more specifically talking about the challenges associated with coordinating utilities, including public power utilities that may not historically have been involved with the uh, MISO stakeholder process? Sure. And, and this boy, if, if, uh, if the ANOPER is not a complicated one, this one is. <laughs> um, FERC Order 2222 really represents a sweeping change in terms of the direct participation of distributed energy resources and, and the many challenging that must be, uh, challenges that must be overcome to provide this opportunity. So MISO and its stakeholders have to plan, implement a multitude of changes to both our processes and technologies so we can coordinate with the distribution companies to adapt to this participation model. It is at a level of granularity that we've never experienced before. So we plan to leverage some of the current processes that are in their initial phases, but over time, and these are years, not months, we're going to build this participation on top of our market system enhancement or our software upgrade that I referenced earlier. So coordinating with the utilities, including the public power, uh, represents a new extensive coordination effort. FERC asked RTOs to help institute a new framework in conjunction with the state regulators, the utilities, uh, including public power and the distributed energy resource aggregators. And this is a very complicated, very broad initiative. Notably, there's a new angle to the utility coordination, and that's their distribution function. We've traditionally had the stakeholder engagement from the transmission function, so this is very new and very different for us. And we, we've now had to create a new relationship with the distribution function. Our team has been working diligently to work through a new stakeholder process, a new coordination effort, uh, and to try to meet the compliance deadline for next April. 
For the second year in a row, uh, MISO announced the largest inbound request uh, in new generation with the results of the 2021 Generation Interconnection Queue application process. Um, this year, MISO Interconnection customers submitted 487 applications, representing approximately 77 gigawatts of new generation across our footprint. Uh, about 57% of that is renewable, so solar and wind. So there's a lot of stuff going on in this space, and it's going to take a lot of coordination and a lot of effort for us to work through it together. Um, so obviously, I asked with specificity as to um, specific topics that, uh, as it relates to the agency. Are there any other you know, pending proceedings or, or things that are going on at FERC that MISO is, is keeping an eye on that you wanted to highlight? You know, I think the thing that we're really keeping an eye on and highlighting the most is, is the way FERC is thinking about RTOs and non-RTOs. I think that if you look back over the past 15 years, RTOs have developed and delivered a tremendous amount of value uh, to end users. I think whether you think about reliability, the efficiency with which we're delivering that reliability, uh, and the ability for members to implement their strategies and our ability to um, facilitate that, I think has been really important. And I think that um, FERC needs to be really careful that they don't interrupt the bargain there that is there between members of RTOs and non-members of RTOs. Uh, there seems to be a whole lot of regulation going on top of RTOs and the same regulations and the same criteria are not being placed uh, on the top of non-RTO members. And I think that uh, that discontinuity can cause problems over time if we're not careful. As it relates to cybersecurity, um, obviously that's top of mind for the, the power sector and, and RTOs and ISOs uh, specifically. So I wanted to know if you could talk about how MISO is addressing um, increased cybersecurity challenges. Sure. As, as is the case with you know our peers across the industry, obviously this is a significant challenge for us. And one of the key reasons that we are revising our underlying technology systems is not only to make them flexible and give them the capacity to support the market redesign efforts and the different tools and processes that we want to use, but also to make them safe. Our systems were largely designed in 2009, as were most of the other ISO and RTOs. Um, and you know, cybersecurity has changed exponentially since then. So our, our cybersecurity plan includes a detailed defense and depth strategy, like most. Uh, it provides multiple layers of protections from potential cyber intruders, and our tools and our procedures monitor for intrusions and then very quickly act to isolate any of those threats that come up, and, and they do come up. We work closely with our members, with federal authorities, to constantly review and update our cyber plans and procedures to guard against these threats. And much like other parts of our business, you know, strong partnerships are critical. Uh, we've established key partnerships with law enforcement, uh, intelligence agencies, the emergency management community across our footprint uh, at, at local, state, federal levels, and also in Canada. So we're doing everything we can uh, to work with the, the broader community, if you will, uh, to provide as safe of an environment as we can. Uh, but this has become more and more challenging as every day goes by. Great. Well, John, thanks again so much for taking the time um, out of your day to speak with us. It's been a, been a great conversation, very informative. Um, and as with uh, all the guests who, who have uh, on our, been on our podcast, uh, I'd like to extend you an open invitation to uh, return at some point in the future uh, where we can kind of uh, catch up on things that are going on with myself. So thanks again, John. Really appreciate it. Paul, thank you. I, I really think it's an honor to have gotten to speak with you guys, and I really appreciate you guys reaching out and asking us, and I'd be more than happy to come back in the future at your request. Great. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.